This podcast is not personal financial advice. You're listening to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome back to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence pod for Aussies where I interview interesting people on topics relating to financial independence. Today, my guest is none other than my accountant, Clayton. Clayton and I have talked about doing this podcast for a while. You see, I pay him thousands of dollars each year to help out with tax planning, structuring of our investments and businesses, and other strategic decisions that ultimately help me reach fire sooner. And I thought it'd be an interesting chat to have him on and for us to talk about what role an accountant can play when someone is trying to reach fire. Uh, and explore why certain decisions were recommended for our family in terms of tax advice and planning. Some of the topics in today's episode are, does everyone trying to reach fire actually need an accountant? How can people get the most out of their accountant? What can we do before we see an accountant to make life either easier for both parties involved? How do you find a good accountant who's willing to work with you to build wealth? And what questions should you ask them? What are some of the main things to get in place when starting up a sole trader slash freelancer business and so much more. Before we get into the full episode, here is a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at ShareSite, the number one portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it ridiculously simple with automatic holdings updates, comprehensive tax and performance reporting, wrapped up in an easy to use, fully cloud-based system. My favorite thing about using ShareSite is how easy it makes tax returns. Simply generate your tax report at the end of the financial year and voila, you're done. And here's the best part. It's 100% free for users that have under 10 holdings. If you have over 10 holdings and want to sign up, make sure you use my link to get the first four months for free. Head over to aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site to receive this special offer. Even if you're signing up to the free plan, using that link will score you four months for free if you ever decide to own more than 10 holdings within 60 days. Finish tax time with a click of a button using ShareSite by signing up today. That's aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site for your free four months. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Very exciting episode today. I have my accountant joining me today. Clayton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Now, this is this episode, um, I put something out there in the Facebook group and a lot of people got around it and I said, hey, I'm thinking about um, getting my accountant on because we always have great conversations. Every time we catch up and we talk about how I'm structuring my affairs and um, just the different investments, everything like that. I I always think that would make for an interesting podcast. And I think there was someone actually that tagged me in something in the Facebook group that said you should get your accountant on. So, So here we are. How about we start with a little bit about you, mate? Just introduce yourself and maybe how you got into accounting in general. Yeah, thank you. So um, I've been working in accounting for about 12 years now and got into it pretty much just because I was good at it at school. <laughs> good at maths. <laughs> good at maths. Always liked numbers. Ever since I was a kid, I've been working with numbers and just enjoying um, doing whatever with them. So after I finished year 12, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So decided just to follow what I was good at and yeah, went to uni, um, studied accounting. Got my honours as well. Congratulations. See, I, I was always a P's get degrees yeah. <laughs> sort of mantra <laughs> just because I wasn't very good at studying. Yeah, but Fair enough. They do. They do. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. So, yeah, and then I think during my uni course, I went around to a lot of the local accounting firms in Trelgan and Mall, gave my resume, said I was studying accounting and wanted a bit of a holiday job between my second and third year of uni. And then, yeah, Macmillan's, which is where I work at the moment, they're really the only ones that showed a bit of interest. So, yep, started going there. You know, sort of once a week or once a fortnight for a bit of training. Um, ended up, yeah, getting a job there when I finished uni. So yeah, great. Now you are since. you are a Valley boy. You know, we are both um, yep. from Latrobe Valley. So yep. this is we're recording this actually in my man cave at my house. So we're just speaking actually before we started recording that I don't get to record many of these podcast episodes in person. And they're so much better in person just because it's surprisingly people might not um you know, if you've never recorded a podcast, but that tiny half a second of latency when you speak and then someone interprets it, then they, you know, speak yeah. back. It's a killer in some conversations and when you're having like an in-depth- That's um, harder, definitely. It, it, way harder to have yeah. a conversation. It's not the be all end all, but um, obviously much prefer in person. Yeah, so definitely. And we found that as a, as accountants during COVID, we did a lot of um, Zoom meetings or Teams meetings course, or whatever. Of course, yes. Um, so we know that as yeah, well. Yeah, that's actually a definitely great- Definitely prefer face-to-face. 100%. That's a very good point. I actually wonder- 
have you seen what they're trying to do with um, the metaverse with Facebook? Um, like you, you put the headset on and you're actually going to be in the room. Oh, uh, yeah, I you have know. seen that. Yeah. I wonder if that will break a little bit of the barrier for remote call. But surely it would, right? Because when you have the webcam on you, like you can't see someone. Like you can see, sorry, you can't, you can see them, but you can't make eye to eye contact. And there's like so many behavioral cues that you can't pick up, yeah. pick up on, on on a Zoom call that you potentially might be able to pick up on, you know, in the metaverse or whatever, wherever they're going to do it. Now, I wanted to ask you, and this is a common question. I had it a lot you know, when I was trying to navigate the financial world. And I know a lot of people in the Facebook group wanted to know about it as well. But how about we start setting the foundation as to what exactly is the difference between an accountant, a tax advisor, and a financial planner? Because my understanding is they are all separate things, but someone can be a lot of those things. Yeah. Is that they're, right? Yeah, they're all separate, but they can intertwine. Yes. Quite and it's a very confusing well. sometimes when you're yeah. trying to get advice on in a specific area, like who do I need to see? Do I need to? See? Yeah. So just explain a little bit about that, how that works. Well, as an accountant, I'd say the accountants are the smartest. So you go to them first. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, so accountants, um, they can help you with things like your tax compliance, so your tax returns, financial reports, business activity statements, those sorts of things. Um, they can also do quite a bit of advisory work, such as planning for tax, minimizing tax, uh, how to structure your business, business advice as well. Do they have to be a tax agent as well as an accountant or, or is, yeah, that, is this tax still- agent, You have to be a tax agent to be able to lodge tax returns um, and charge a fee for them. To give advice, you don't necessarily have to be a tax agent though. But most accountants would be a tax agent unless pretty much you're an accountant in the private sector. So meaning you're working for a big business or something like that as their in-house accountant. Gotcha. Yeah. And then a a financial planner, so they offer more specific advice on, you know, what to invest in. They help retirement planning, um, super, insurance, Centrelink benefits as well. So probably a couple of examples of the differences between an accountant and a financial planner. So as an accountant, we can tell you if you put 20 grand into super, this is what it's going to look like. This is, these are the tax benefits. We can't actually tell you to do that though, whereas a financial planner can. So that's sort of one of the main differences. And, and is it common that someone is all three? Yeah, yes. Um, most businesses like our business as well would have sort of an accounting branch and then a financial planning branch as well. Um, but yeah, you could be all three. Yeah. And is that just to separate like strategy from advice? That's a good question. <laughs> do you know, do, like, the reason I bring that up is because have you heard of, you know, there's always that argument online and in the forums um, that there is a difference between a, a str- strategic decision or like a, a financial planner can, well, they, they can do many things, but there should be a distinction made between, I think that you should do this. Like I, I'm going to lay out like different scenarios. I, I mean, I guess that's, um, what's that document? that they give you a uh, statement of advice yeah statement of advice that's it it's like you know modeling the different scenarios and it's sort of up to you to choose you know which which one do you want to go down I can hold your hand a little bit Um, but that separation you know is important so I guess that's why companies separate the two but I wouldn't know yeah and it's probably sort of hard to be across all of it as one person. So that's where you, I'm going to I'm going to specialize in accounting or I'm going to go specialize in financial planning. Yeah, it can be probably, I imagine, quite difficult if you're trying to be all three at once. Yeah, okay, okay. So what do you see as the role of a good accountant? Now, you're young fella yourself. You're actually younger than me, I believe. Is that right? What, what year are you born? I'm 89. Yeah, I'm 1990. So oh, young, young whippersnapper yeah. in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're similar of age. But yeah. as I like to say, I'm, I'm only 30. Plus GST. So. <laughs> An accountant That's joke. That's my favorite accounting um, joke. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So so you're obviously a fan of the the whole FIRE community, the yep. FIRE movement. Absolutely. And you understand a little bit about like what this younger generation is trying to achieve with their, their finances. Yes. So it is, I think it's a good question for you to answer being a younger accountant with the GST added. <laughs> What do you see and what do you think the role of an accountant should play in someone's journey to financial independence? Yeah, so probably the main, the biggest ones would be structuring of your investments and how how you want to do that and also help with minimization of, of tax is probably the, the couple of main um, advantages that we could give as an accountant to someone who's looking for fire. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, not everyone would need an accountant. It probably depends on how financially literate you are. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, and even someone with the most simple affairs could still benefit uh, from an accountant, I believe. So even 
like an example, just yeah. a non-specific, like a, yeah, like a, just a general mum and dad sure. who you know have a couple of jobs and that's it. Coming to do their tax return, pretty simple affairs really. But even if like I might see they've got a whole heap of bank interest um, on their tax return, and I'll ask them, you know, do you still have a home loan? And they say yes. Well, and I can say, well, why don't you pull that money out of your savings account and put it into your home loan? Right. And then that would save you some tax. Yeah. And yeah, you'd be better off overall. So even something as simple as that. So which is rudimentary to people in the fire community, like most people. Exactly, yeah. We're sort of a – out of a lot of the f- personal finance communities, I, I'd say that fire is up there with probably one of the more in the know of the technical details and like the you know all the laws and everything and how to minimize tax and how to save money. But to your everyday mum and dad investor, that could be the difference exactly, of you know, tens yeah. of thousands of dollars that compounds into potentially six figures yeah. over a lifetime. And that kind of thing comes naturally to me and to you yeah. and probably most of the people listening, but yeah, not everyone sort of thinks that way. For sure. So that's where, you know, an accountant or a financial planner can can really benefit someone. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do want to touch on the structuring yep. um, question a little bit. Now, this could go into, the, it's such a big topic, isn't it? Structuring. Like we, do, we could you know spend a couple of hours you here talking about those it. Those sort of questions popping up on the, on the Facebook group it's, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be one of the most popular topics. Now, I did some um, great podcasts with um, Terry War about yep. structuring and Terry has the structuring podcast that um, you should check out. It's brilliant. I'll put a link in the show notes to the podcast that I did with Terry, but that goes into um, structuring quite a bit. So maybe we'll just keep it high level, but like, what do you see works well? Um, and we can even go into my situation. I mean, I've written about it numerous times on the blog, um, but what do you, what do you see commonly with people trying to reach financial independence in, in your practice and, you know, professionally. And also just side question, do you see an uptake of clients saying to you when they come sit down that my goal is financial independence? Like, is that starting to filter through with like the younger people? I haven't actually had anyone say that specifically to me. No. So they're not like, I'm structuring my affairs for this goal. You know, I haven't had anyone say that. Interesting. Okay. So if, if someone, I mean, we'll keep it general then. What, what do you see as like a, a common structure um, with people just trying to be better with their finances in general? Yeah, well, I mean, probably the most common one would just be people investing in their own names. You know, property is still probably one of the main investments that you see. So yeah. and generally it does make sense to hold the property in your own name as well for various reasons. Probably where we can really assist is for business owners and, you know, obviously making making sure that their business is structured correctly, um, whether they, for example, run a, run a company, run the business out of a company, who owns the shares in that company, and then who's the director of that company and the director always holds the risk. So then what what kind of assets does that director have in their name specifically? So there's a whole heap of different things there that we can we can help. So probably a trust would sort of be the main uh, vehicle or entity where a, um, where the investments would be held. And can, you, can you explain a little bit about, uh, let's use my example, uh, you know, the, my business as an example. We'll keep the business name out of it just because I don't want anyone bugging me on LinkedIn. Yep. But I have, so I've set up a trust um, with yourself. Um, we invest through a trust and I've been on record saying that if I could go back, I probably wouldn't have done it just because it's a lot of mental bandwidth. Yep. However, in saying that, damn, is it saving me a lot of tax at it the moment? Now. It's saving yeah. me a lot of tax. And I remember having those conversations with you at the start. Yeah. Saying it's probably not much benefit at the moment. Yes. You got to think sort of long term. And I think now you can see that that's definitely paid off. And it is. Yeah. And I've done the work though. Like yeah, right yeah. now, I've read the books, I've got my head around it. Like I understand what's going on. But I just tell people, like, it depends on what you want in life. Do you want to be the richest you can possibly be? Okay. Yep. You probably want to learn about this stuff. But being the richest you can possibly be isn't isn't the goal of a lot of people um, pursuing fire is to live a life of satisfaction to be happy to you know be content that's really the goal that people are chasing ultimately and money just happens to play a very important role in that endeavor so I say I say I tell people that yeah if I could go back I probably would have saved my mental bandwidth and utilized it somewhere else yeah I would have paid a bit more tax but you know it, it just wouldn't have mattered that much however, now that I've done it and like I've set it all up and everything, it'd be silly to to close it down and not do it because I've already done the research. I've I've spent the money. But let's talk about my situation yep. a little bit. We can speak, you know, generalizing as much as you want. Maybe explain to people how you set up my company with the trust and everything and how that, you know, the profit outflows and just go into that. Yeah. So you've got your your business, which is run through a company structure uh, and then the, the shares in your company are owned by your family trust. So then if your business makes a profit, we can then pay our dividends from that company 
to your family trust and then from the family trust we'll distribute those to some beneficiaries who are at a lower tax rate. Which is massive. Yeah. yeah Which exactly. is, is an enormous tax. tax savings. Yep. Like when you think about like just I really want to linger on that point so everyone understands, you know, because I, I sort of – I did know about it but it wasn't until that I started making a little bit of money through the business. I was like, damn, this, this structure saves – like it's not just a little bit of tax. And the biggest difference is a lot of people, if you've been around the group long enough, you, you, you would have seen the articles written or the podcast recorded about investing through a trust. And then when your investments build up enough, you can distribute them at a, at a tax efficient manner, mm. right? Yep. That is assuming that you've got beneficiaries. Yes. That's, that's probably, yeah, the catalyst in a lot of cases. Yes. So um, if you don't have beneficiaries. Yeah, do you have any beneficiaries who you can actually distribute to? Plus as well, the tax office have made that uh, quite a bit harder recently with Section 100A, which I think you have touched on previously in one Maybe. of your podcasts. Just remind me, how, what's, what's uh, that all about? Briefly, it's all just about distributing to people and making sure the actual flow of the funds follow that distribution as well. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. But previously before that uh, legislation, you didn't actually- oh, sorry, You didn't actually. The so trust you could, didn't have to actually- Didn't have to pay the cash across. So you could just do it all on paper pretty much and then- that was the end of it. Wow. Um, so they're trying to yeah, tidy things up there and yeah, tighten the belt a bit. And I want to, I guess we better make it clear that when the trust distributes to the beneficiaries, it's the beneficiary's money, right? Yes. So it's not, it's no longer yes, in the, your control. Yep. The beneficiary is legally entitled to it. hundred percent. So yeah. you've got to be careful. Like it depends on, and this, I guess we're getting into a gray area here as well, that if the trust distributes to a beneficiary, then that beneficiary transfers, you know, all the money directly to the, this is a bit confusing, the director of the company that's trustee of the trust. Yep. <laughs> um, it can look a bit sus, can't it? Because it's, it can, yeah. you know, and- You got to be careful. And that's, yeah. Yeah. I guess where an accountant can come in. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. And isn't it, I've always wondered this as well. What is, I, I think I know the technical difference in definitions, but it's always like an interesting one. What is actually the difference between tax minimalization and tax evasion? I would probably put it in the way that tax minimization, you can do it obviously in a legal way. So take maybe take your business, for example. Sure. Um, you could just run that through a sole trader um, and then just pay tax at your marginal tax rate or we could put it through the company um, and save you some tax. So that's an example of tax minimization, yeah. nice and Lowering easy. Lowering the tax bill, yep. right? Yep. Exactly, yeah. Or even the example I gave before where instead of having money in a savings account, you put it on your home loan because then you're saving tax as well. So whereas tax evasion, I think, is more of a, a probably a black market sort of way of going about it, a black economy, I mean. so. But do you know what I mean, though? Because I get what you're saying. Like if someone runs a business and simply just doesn't pay tax, obviously that's pretty clear cut. That's, you know, tax evasion, you're just not paying tax. That's illegal. But, and you would know more than I would with, with it, there's, there seems to be a hundred shades of gray with all these tax strategies. And does it come down to if the ATO were to audit you, they're going to look at cases in a, a case by case individual basis. And then someone at the ATO or a group of people just make the call. You know, we, we, we think this is a little bit too dodgy or no, this is all right. Like they're, they're skating on thin ice here, but it's technically okay. To me, that's what like some of this, these strategies you read about. And Terry, Terry War is a good example. Like when you see him in the comments on the Facebook group, he's like, well, you know, it depends and he'll reference some sort yeah. of case that um, that where the judge ruled against the person yeah. and then he'll it's reference- It's not always black and white, it's, that's for sure. No, yeah. it's not always black and white. Yeah. Um, it just seems- like, yeah, there's a lot of these strategies where it's like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. if you get the wrong officer, the ATO looking at the case, you could get pinged, but then otherwise you couldn't. Yep. And that's why with our work, like we've got to document a lot of the work that we do, sure. and the reasons why we've done it and, you know, that's all that sort of thing. So if if the tax office were to have a look at it, at least we've got some documents there um, to, you know, explain our thinking and give some sort of reasonable basis on why we've gone down that path. But um, a lot of the time, you know, sort of the safe areas that you can play in. So, we, you, you know, you try and stay in there. I think it's probably more the the bigger firms in Melbourne that try and think up of these harebrain ideas <laughs> to minimise their tax. With their billions of dollars of their clients' exactly. money. Exactly, yeah. Yep. But did you ever 
like was there is there an ethics course in um commerce uh, is a commerce the degree that you study to yeah there's there's one in the cpa course that i did um so that's one of the subjects like, that you what do. do they say though like so in this let's talk about the example with yeah you're gonna test my memory here it's been about 10 years since <laughs> yeah, i did that <laughs> yeah you're probably not going to know it word by word but in the example that you that the trust distributes to someone yep. and then that person transfers it directly to someone else technically they're allowed to do it right it's their money they can gift it to someone yep. however i keep reading that it's like yeah like it's okay but then sometimes it's not is this just an interpretation of the law like what's going on it here? is yeah yeah and with like that's that's pretty much section section 100 a that i was talking about before um that's only sort of well it's actually been in for a while but the tax office is sort of picking up a bit more on it now um so there's not really much case law to go off just yet so right gotcha the they've released what's called a or pcg or practice compliance guideline which outlines a whole different heap of scenarios so you sort of got to go through that and compare that to what your client's trying to do um, and then sort of see if you might be in the safe area or, or sure. not. So, yeah, it's everything. Bit of a it depends, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you um, Did you ever, I don't know, if this would have been a great case study. I'll just be, be personally interested. Like if I was at uni, I'd, I'd definitely want to hear and like dig into the weeds of this. But can you remember or have you ever watched that clip of um, Kerry Packer? in yep. the courtroom. You yes. know exactly which one I'm talking about. I know about. which one you're talking about. You yeah. know, and he's getting grilled. I can't remember exactly what it's over. He's in like, um, he's in a courtroom. They yep. dragged him in there. Do you know, do you know better than I do? Uh, <laughs> Malcolm Turnbull. I can't remember exactly what he was getting grilled for, but yeah, I, I remember the quote. Malcolm Turnbull was one of his solicitors. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, in that famous, like that famous speech that he does, it, it goes to the bench or whatever, and Mal- a young Malcolm Turnbull, who was apparently like a, I've read his book, he was like a, a gun solicitor, like he was a really good lawyer. Um, but yeah, he was one of the solicitors. Yeah, right. And I believe uh, Packer was buying another news corporation or something yep. or, or a media outlet. And there was some sort of legislation that was like one individual can't control like too much of the media or something like that. I could be getting this wrong. But anyway, the lawyer like at the end or, you know, partly through the the um, proceedings stated that it was against, oh, what do you say? It was against the spirit of Australia or something. Do you know, <laughs> have you seen that part of it? I don't remember that bit. I just remember the bit about him saying, you know, why would I pay more tax than I need to when, when you guys can't spend it properly or something. Yeah, along yeah, those yeah. Lines. That, that's yeah. definitely a, a famous quote in yeah. that um, court as that's well. That's what I remember. But there is a, a part of that where the solicitor said that, that that it goes against the spirit of Australian law. And then Packer sort of like, oh, like, you know, I've already told you what I think, it, like yeah. what you lot do. And I just thought it was funny. It's like, even at that level, with Packer, with all his billions of dollars at his disposal, they're still trying to get him for something that maybe isn't a technicality, but it's like, uh, it's just like, we just don't like what you're doing. Yeah. But even though it's not in the constitution. Yeah. Reminds you of, of, of the castle, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, tell him he's dreaming. Yeah. All right. So I had another question here that I wanted to ask you about. How can people get the most out of their accountant? So you obviously deal with a whole bunch of clients. Like, can you tell straight away that this person is going to be great to work with? And what are those qualities from the client's point of view that they can bring to the table to make the whole interaction and the exchange a lot better for both parties? Yeah. I mean, we can, like, we can tell a lot of the time that if a client is going to suit our firm or not. And and often we will, we will reject a client or well, not often, but really? sometimes um, if we just, if we don't feel that they're a good fit for our firm and they don't match our values. In terms of like getting the most out of your accountant, uh, you could, one um, example would be to get them on your podcast, maybe and just asking a heap of questions <laughs> for free. <No>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I'd say, yeah, probably just ask them questions um, and challenge them. Um, if there's anything you're not sure on, you know, ask them to explain it. And I don't think there's any sort of stupid question that you can ask your accountant, even if it's a simple question that can lead to some more conversations. And then um, you might end up chatting about something completely different and find out that they can help you help you out in some other way. So yeah, I'd probably say yeah, ask them questions, challenge them before you see them. I'd write down questions that you do have because you know it's probably quite easy to forget while you're there what you wanted to ask them. So make the most of it while you're there. Being well prepared. And yeah, being well prepared and do your own research as well beforehand. So you've got a bit more of an understanding of what you think should be the the answer and to get the most out of your accountant i'd say see us often don't get don't get behind on your taxes or anything else like that um so what's often well it'd be at least once a year to do yeah, tax return. at least a year i mean I, i'm a catch up with you three or four times a year yeah right that's a bit i've got a bit more yours a bit complex. more complex yeah yeah, yeah. 
simple mum and dad with just, you know, selling wage jobs you'd only need to see once a year probably. Like there's we got quite a few clients who we do quarterly meetings um, to go through their businesses, quarterly reports to see how they're tracking and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's plenty of different opportunities to see clients during the year. What about any lingo or anything like that that people could, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, like mm, I should really go see an accountant, anything that like – any good resources even? So like, I don't know, the basics or, you know, uh, I don't know if McMillan has a YouTube channel or something like we that. We don't. <laughs> Maybe we need to look into that. There you go. That's an idea. Although it probably sounds like I'm putting my hand up for that. So <laughs> if any of my bosses are listening to this, then no, YouTube channel. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century. Uh, not There's no particular resources that spring to mind in particular, but I think just a general... Google, you can learn a lot just on Google and, and find like out how things. Taxes work and stuff. Yeah, like exactly. GST. Make, make sure you're looking at Australian. Yeah, yeah, that's good websites. Point. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, even your your podcast is a great resource and, and the Facebook group as well. So the only uh, the only issue the only issue many issues with my podcast and resources, but I find sometimes the fire content can be just be a bit too much for some people. Like it depends on what sort of person I'm talking to. They'll go listen to my, my podcast. I had my, one of my best mates was listening to it. And he's like, mate, you guys are speaking another language like etf um you know this whatever you know yep. vas yeah i reckon the the money smart website which is a government website yeah, is it's actually good. quite good it simplifies it a lot that's a good point i've yes. seen so i think that's probably a good resource if you're struggling to understand some of those more simple yeah for sure and you mentioned before that sometimes you don't take on clients which i found yeah. a bit interesting yep. what it would be like the biggest one of the biggest red flags you're like, i don't think we can work together. Like our firm is not going to be for you. Yep. I'd suggest you look elsewhere. For an initial client, probably the like the red flags that we would look for would be if they've got ATO debts, a lot of outstanding lodgements. They're probably the main couple of ones that we would look at to begin with because sometimes, you know, you meet a client for the first time, there's not many things you can tell about them straight off the bat. So, but the, you know, the ATO debts and outstanding lodgements, you can obviously see that. And then, and then existing clients, like sometimes we might have to get rid of them if they're a bad payer or if we, you know, keep telling them you need to do this, you need to do that. And they just don't, don't do it for whatever reason, you know, like we're just sort of banging our head against the wall. So we might just mutually agree to, yep, let's, cut ties. let's yeah, cut the ties. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. doesn't right. happen too often, but it, it does happen. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Interesting. Let's go into community questions now. So obviously I, I put something in the group that you were coming on and there was a whole bunch of people that um, su- that submitted a question and I'm just going to read out some of the most liked questions. Yeah, sure. Uh, first one is top three easiest things that most people can do that will help them at tax time. Yeah, so probably just a few simple ones really. So I think the main one would be keep your receipts and keep all your records because then you're, you're making sure you're claiming everything you're entitled to. You know, it can be hard to keep receipts, but yeah, if, you, if you're doing that, then at least, you know, you, you've got everything there. Is a photo okay? Yes. Yeah, you can take a photo of a receipt. That's yeah, what I absolutely. do. I do all that for the yeah. business. So and I hope that's it's probably okay. better because if you just get all your receipts and chuck them in a bag or something like that, they do rub against each other and fade over time. So yeah. Definitely photo is good. And if you have some sort of online storage or something, that's even better. Well, yeah, that's what I try to do with, um, I think the, the uh, Zero app yeah, is really so good at have, that. Yeah, Zero or QuickBooks Online or any of yeah, those sorts yeah. of programs. Um, yeah, they have the ability to just take a photo and store it within their program. Yeah essentially. Second one, I'd say probably wait for pre-field information for your tax return. So that'd be things like your bank interest, your, your dividends, your your tax statements for your ETFs, all those sorts of things. That's brilliant that that autofills these yeah, days. Like holy moly, can people, yeah, I think the audience of this podcast is like between 20 and 50 or something, yep. most people. If you are in the younger um, demographic yes. and you never knew a life where it wasn't pre-fill, my God. Nah, so it's, yeah, pre-fills <laughs> have been around since I've been in the game, but you know, back in the day, you do paper tax returns and you'd have to. <laughs> I don't even know, understand no how. In the office at all. Mum and dad talk about like life before internet banking. Yeah. And that, I was like, oh my God, like I couldn't imagine that. You have yeah. to go down to the bank every time you want to do something. Yep. Like, geez Louise. So it's getting better and better, people. It is, yeah. So the pre field information is really handy. Um, makes our job easier as an accountant, definitely. Of course, um, yeah. But yeah, and also it makes the, makes the client's job a bit easier as well. So if you can wait for all that to be pre filled, it makes it easier. Because you know you're not you're not forgetting something or or getting the wrong information in there, so that's yeah that's one of the things you can do to help yourself at tax time. 
And then probably a couple other things you can do to help you save some tax. So that'd be things like private health insurance. If you're over the, the threshold for the Medicare levy surcharge, um, you can consider getting that. What's the threshold for everyone out there? Uh, if you're single, it's 96 grand, I believe. I'm sorry, 93, I think. And then it's 186 for a couple. It's just gone up for the current financial year. So if you're over those thresholds, you consider getting private health just to avoid the, uh, the surcharge. Yeah. So that means just for people who have never heard of that, yep. if you're over that, you can actually buy private health yes. and it will work out depending on what options you go with to be cheaper can to buy cheaper. Pri- yeah. private health rather than get slugged with the surcharge. Yeah. Yep. So generally I say, you know, at least, for example, say a client comes in, we do their tax return and they're paying the Medicare levy surcharge and that works out to be $2,000. I'll tell them to go away and have a look at some private health insurance. Yeah, for like options. a thousand bucks, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's a thousand bucks, then it's a no-brainer. You're going to go and do that because you're saving yourself a thousand bucks. Yeah. Or if, even if it's say two and a half grand, the premiums. Yep. You might say, well, okay, it's really going to cost only going to cost me five hundred bucks because it's either pay the two and a half grand or sure, and then you the might get grand. a whole bunch of extras along yeah. with it. So, and then you get the benefits of those of the insurance, which you might not ever use, but. You know, it's there if, if you do need it. We just started paying private health like last year or the year before, uh, mainly because I ride a bike and I thought that was my biggest risk. I was like, if I get hit, like, you know, odds of me getting hit by a car in Taralgon, yeah. eh, <laughs> like it's not, it's not too low. I've already been hit once um, on a zebra crossing, funny enough. Really? There's yeah. a one place you would think you would never get mm. hit. Um, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been riding my bike on the zebra crossing. Maybe that's why the car did it. But Maybe. yeah, I got hit. It uh, wasn't too bad. But um, I thought it's just we're, 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 we've got enough money for me to feel comfortable paying $150 a month or whatever to get private health in the rare um, unfortunate circumstance that I get hit and fall off and, you know, bust my knee or hip or something and I want to get in and sorted ASAP. That was like the one scenario that I thought is quite plausible yep. to happen. So it can give you tax benefits, but also, as you say, just, you know, benefits in everyday life. So yeah, yep, that's one of the things. And also this might be controversial to say here, but you can put some money into super to save yourself some tax. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so there'd be a plenty of strategies around that. And I think we're going to get into super a bit more later on. So pretty much stuff that most people in the fire community would already know about. Yeah. Um, yep. I think Just some basic things really. For sure. I think there was a question. I might not have it here. It's on a similar line of thinking to, to the, that question that was just asked with the community. But what about, is there anything that you can claim? And now this is obviously, might be uh, job specific, but is there something that is easy to claim and you can choose to either answer this or not yep. that you don't need records for? Pretty much laundry of uniform. So you can claim up to 150 bucks of that without needing any sort of receipts. You are still sort of supposed to show how you would have spent that amount of on course, laundry. Of um, I've been doing tax returns for 12 years. I've never seen the tax office query $150 laundry claim on anyone's <laughs> yeah. return. Yeah. Um, haven't said they'll probably walk into work on <laughs> yeah. Monday and, and have one. Yeah, the HL are listening. <laughs> They're going to just uh, exactly. have a McMillan's now. So that's one. And you can claim up to $300 of work-related deductions without needing any receipts at all which isn't much. Uh, you can claim $10 of bucket donations without needing any receipts. Um, travel in your own vehicle. So you can. You don't need to keep any sort of receipts or records necessarily. Logbooks. Logbooks, you definitely do need to keep records. But if you're just doing the cents per kilometre claim, um, you just really need to be able to show you how you've worked out you've travelled that many Ks for work. And how would you show that? Just literally like, oh, hey, I, I've, I had a meeting in Ballarat yep. here. I had a meeting in, you know, Bendigo here. Yep. Just stuff like that. Yep. And then you just... I, I normally jump on Google Maps and work out the case. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So if if the tax office ever were to query you on that, like they might go as far as asking your employer, like you know, did sure, did sure, Mister Taxpayer have to travel for work at all? And hopefully the employer says yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's something you can claim without necessarily having a receipt for. And then there's also things like your, your mobile phone, your internet, you're working from home, although working from home, you, you now, you're supposed to keep a, a diary of how many hours you're working from home. Oh, no one's going to uh, do no that. No one's going to do that. <laughs> no one's going to do that. To. How do these, how <laughs> some, do these some people bureaucrats, do, though, to be they fair. do? Yeah, they, I've had a few clients come in and they have their a spreadsheet or it's written down how no many way. hours they've done for the whole year. So, yeah. You Okay. I mean, it's not that hard to keep a record like that, but some of these rules that these bureaucrats come up with are outrageous. The bureaucracy and there's so much time is wasted when everyone knows that no one's going to do that. Yeah. So the one that I don't like is if you're claiming working from home, There's it's what's called the actual method. Um, So say, for example, you have a lamp in your home office. To be able to claim the actual cost of that lamp, so the electricity, you're supposed to work out how many kilowatts of energy it uses an Bro, hour. 
Is that and they then, seriously saying that? Like, yeah. is that actually in law somewhere? If on you go the, on the tax office website, it, it does explain that somewhere there. Are these people living in real life, I don't or think are, so. are they actually like just they just get paid and they like they just a box needs to be ticked that I wrote this policy yeah. and I actually have not thought about the practicality of this policy whatsoever. Yeah, I actually went and saw the Barbie movie recently, and I think they might have been living in Barbie world, so yeah, <laughs> that's where they are. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. boggles my mind some of these um the the decisions that these bureaucrats come up with. So they're probably the yeah, the main sort of ones you claim with their receipts. Cool. All right, moving on. Uh, we touched on this a little bit. Uh, how do you find a good accountant who will work with you to build wealth? What questions should I ask? What are things to look for? I mean, we already spoke about it. Anything you want to add to this question? Yeah, I think probably the main thing would be recommendations from family, friends, business partners or, or whatever. Um, so I think recommend, recommendations is probably the biggest one because then you, you've got someone else who's obviously been there and had that experience and had a good experience and you can know that then hopefully you'll have the same. But other things, just simple things, you definitely want to make sure they're sort of a member of some sort of professional body, whether that be CPA or CA. Um, if you're doing your tax return, you want to make sure they're a registered tax agent and they're not lodging it fraudulently. So and these are all databases. That. You can look up people's, like I could look you up right now online yep. and see that your um, registration. Yep. So I'm not, me specifically, I'm not a registered tax agent, but Macmillan's is where I work. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I work under that, that tax registration. And this is probably more of a personal thing, but I would, probably avoid somewhere that has commissions or, or kickbacks of any sort of product purely just because I think of those sorts of things. You're not, if someone's getting commission or kickback, they're not always going to be working in your best interest. How can they? Exactly. Yeah. How can so, they? Even subconsciously, you've got to be, you You might think that you're working in the best interest, but there's like you, you muddy the waters as soon as you have an affiliation. And that's even like speaking from someone that has affiliates on this podcast. If someone asks me, you know, what's the best reporting tool? I'm going to say share site. Do I honestly believe it? Yeah, I do. But like, am I as open to discovering new reporting tools as I otherwise would have been if I wasn't sponsored by share site? Probably mm, not. Yeah. You know, that's just, I'm just being truthful. Like it's just, it's a great product. I use it. But people are kidding themselves. If they get any kickback or they're affiliated with another company and they don't think it's clouding their judgment whatsoever, whatsoever, I think that's uh, a little bit rich. Yeah, me too. Me too. But yeah, in terms of what questions you should ask an accountant or so you probably want to know, you know, what services they offer and make sure they they actually do what you what you need. You want to know how their fees work, so how the fees are structured, if they got, you know, minimum pricing or hourly rates or or mixture of both and just who you'll be dealing with as well. So would you only be dealing with the person that you're meeting with to begin with or would you deal with a few different people in the organization? Yeah, that's probably a few ones off the top of my head. Yep. Okay, moving on. What are the main things to get in place when starting up a sole trader slash freelancing business? I think this is yeah, going to be- Yeah, question. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are going into uh, freelancing. With, yeah, with a, something, with a- something I deal with quite a lot. And, you know, sort of most people when they're starting up a business, they might start it as a sole trader just to um, get things going before it gets too too big. But probably the main things would be tax is one of them for sure. So if you're just doing it as a sole trader, uh, it's obviously different as an employee. As an employee, you get your tax taken out for you during the year yes. and then hopefully you get a little refund or a big one at the end of the year. Whereas a sole trader, you've got to make sure you're putting some money aside for the tax bill that you get at the end of the year. So you're working for yourself as you're a sole trader. You're working for yourself yep. as a sole trader, yeah. Yep. So yeah, if you're making money, you just got to make, make sure you remember that not all of it's yours. Some of it does belong to the tax man. GST, you want to consider that if you need to register for GST or not. So if your turnover is 70 five grand or more, then you have to register for GST. So you want to make sure you're compliant on that aspect. So with that, just so everyone knows, when you register for GST, you're now adding GST to your goods and services. Correct. Yeah. So if you're not registered for GST, you might charge a thousand dollars for something. Um, but then if you are registered for GST, then you'd add another 10% on that. So you charge um, 1100 uh, and then just keep in mind that that $100 that you've collected, you're essentially just collecting that on behalf of the tax office. You're just holding it for them. Say, it's yeah. not really your money. Um, so, so that's you have another- to give it all back or you get to keep a percent of it? Well, you sort of, you give it all back, but then any ex- expenses that you have with GSN on them, you can claim those back as well. Ah, uh, yes. So really you're only sort of giving a portion. Do you know, I swear I could be wrong here, but I, I'm pretty certain in the UK, because I had a um, the equivalent of GST, which yep. was- VAT, I think they call it over there. VAT. V- yeah, yeah, v- value yeah, v- added tax. Yeah, yep. that's it, VAT. Yep. 
you got actually got to keep a percent of it, like a tiny bit. Okay. And I think it was justified as like part of the fee of like collecting tax for the government. You yeah, get, right. you got like a little bit. So you yeah, you, you added 10% to your- So their government's a bit nicer than ours. Oh yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was another, there was a, a really good, um, not like a tax minimalization thing that I think they shut down, but it was to do with companies and paying yourself as a dividend versus paying yourself as a wage. It was a real sweet, you know, um, tax efficient method, but I'm pretty- Pretty sure they shut it down. Yeah, right. after I left, which was it worked out well because I. I, was I think I remember you telling me about that one one day when you came in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So GST. Yeah, GST. Um, again, maybe controversial, but super. You might want to consider still paying yourself some super and, and keeping your balance growing. Because um, as a solo trader, you don't have to pay yourself any super at all. Yes. So yes. if you've if you've been working and then you go and do your own business as a solo trader and say you do that for ten years and you if you don't pay yourself super then you you're not going to be growing your super at all. Which so I didn't actually know consider. that. And that's, that works out better for our strategy, you know, just where we're, we're at in um, our financial journey, that as a sole trader, I don't, I'm not a sole trader anymore, as you would know, got my own company, Proprietary Limited, but sole traders, yeah, don't have to say, pay themselves super. Correct. And yeah. that could bite some people in the bum, depending on what, okay. you know, yeah. where you are. Yeah. But I also found it interesting that when I went to the company structure, if I paid myself through the company, I had to, by law, pay myself super or as a sole trader, you don't. Yep. Found that just an interesting tidbit. Because yeah, if you pay yourself through the company, then essentially you're just an employee yeah. of that company. Same as if you went and got a job anywhere else, you'd be an employee of, yep. of that particular business. Yep. yep. Record keeping is something you want to consider as well if you're starting up your uh, a sole trader business. So depending on how complex your business is, uh, sometimes a spreadsheet is good enough, but then also probably we would rather some sort of online accounting software. So Xero is probably the main one and QuickBooks Online. Have you heard of Henry? Only on Thomas Tank Engine that my son watches. <laughs> <laughs> no, this the, it's a New Zealand company. Have you not heard of it, Henry? I haven't, no. I think, I could be wrong here, but I think their whole like schlick is you don't need an accountant. So maybe as an accountant, you wouldn't have heard yeah, of it. Okay. But it's um, it looks pretty cool. I actually looked into it before I went with Xero. Yep. But it, I think- the main difference between the two is if you are a freelancer slash sole trader, Henry, that software is really, really good. Whereas if you're if you want to work with an accountant, like Zero makes working with an accountant very, very good. So it in does, my yeah. circumstances, that's obviously the better option. But Henry was, yeah, better if you were trying to run the whole show yourself. Yeah. Which in some small, you know, sole trader businesses, depending on how complex it would be, maybe that would work. Yeah. And everyone's different. Like some things would suit someone, but not someone else. So that's where you sort of just got to yeah, consider what you need and get the appropriate product. Another thing to consider would be insurance. So a lot of the time you'll need to have some sort of public liability insurance, but as an accountant, like income protection insurance as well, you want to consider that because say you're in, if you're an employee working for someone else, if you hurt yourself, then you're going to be, you're going to get work cover. Yeah. But as a sole trader, if you're at work and you, and you hurt yourself, you won't get any sort of work cover because you can't actually get a work cover policy for yourself as a sole trader. Um, so if you've got no way then of earning your income, but you still got all your, your bills to pay your mortgage and whatnot, you know, you, you're going to, if you don't have enough um, to fall back on, you're going to need some sort of income protection. So that's definitely something to consider for people as well. And then just sort of a, a tip to make it a bit easier for accountants and also the, the client, but separate the business from your personal finances. So just an easy thing to do is get a separate business bank account easy um, as a sole yeah. trader. So yep. don't go through your normal bank account that's got all your McDonald's or whatever going through <laughs> do you, there. Do you get that still? Like, like is that- A few. Yep. You're kidding me. I feel like that's, that's such an easy it one. It just makes it all a lot harder. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So if you can separate it, it's, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Have two two bits of plastic, one for the business, one for the yeah, your exactly. personal. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. All right. I wanted to ask you about self-managed super funds. Yes. So this was quite a liked question in the community. When is it worth it uh, setting up a self-managed super fund or what situation would it be worth it rather than just going a low cost you know, super fund that has some sort of low cost ETF option or something like that. Yeah, so cost is one of the things to consider. So with a, a super fund like your Vanguard or any other, you know, industry super funds, Australian super, whatever, 
they generally charge a percent of your balance, um, whereas a self-managed super fund will usually be more of a fixed fee um, for your compliance. So depending on how much you got in super, sometimes it could actually work out cheaper to get a self-managed fund. How much are we talking? Oh, it, it depends. And it depends where you get the compliance work done So and the audits and all that because some there's some pretty cheap options out there. What are we talking ballpark here? I know it's a bit of a, it, it, you know, but I have no idea. So I'm curious about this. In terms of what it costs? Yeah, compliance. If I run a self you're probably looking fund. more, you know, around four-ish grand a year, four-ish roughly. Grand. Yeah. yeah, but there are cheaper options out there, and I imagine there's probably more expensive options for out sure. There okay. As well. Yeah. So that's a fair chunk of change, though. So in, is, yeah. the advantage that you have in that situation is you have 100% control over. Yeah. So you have more control over your investments, which is probably the main benefit of a, a self-managed fund. And lower fees, though, as well. Like you're not paying the administrative fees, but the the fees are pretty minute in super funds anyway, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a lot of money for that to be worth it. Yeah. A lot of people, the main reason they will go into a self-managed fund will be for the, the control over the investments. So you can, you know, obviously buy the particular investment that you want to buy. You can invest in direct property. Um, it's probably one of the benefits as well. So if you've got a property you've got your eye on, you can buy that in your fund. Um, you can't do that, obviously, in an industry fund or a retail fund. And then are you allowed to live in that property? Sorry. sorry. No. Yeah, I no. wouldn't have thought so. It has to be an investment, right? Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't live in a property that your that your fund owns. Yeah, of course not. Or else everyone would just do that, wouldn't exactly. they? They just yeah. <laughs> buy yeah. a property. Yeah. No, there's specific legislation that is there. Would there be dodginess that. happening around that? Like, oh, I imagine there would be. Yeah, there have to be, wouldn't there? Like, <laughs> yeah. I buy a property in you know on a beachside property. And I Airbnb it for three months and live in it for, you know, yeah. who, how would they ever find that out? Like the HO would have to audit you for, to figure that out, right? Yeah, they would. I don't know how exactly they would find that out, but they do have their sneaky ways of, of finding oh, some things sure. out the ATO. So if we go off on a little tangent here, I know from experience, they've looked at Google Maps photos. No uh, way. Yeah. So a client was getting an audit on a rental property and they'd said they'd done a whole heap of renovations and all this stuff outside. But then the, the tax office had said that, yeah, we've looked at the Google Maps photos and the ones dated back then and then the in a future date. Yeah. And they said there was not really much change between them, but that's when you said you did all this work outside. So, you know, where is it? Um, so that's an example. Plus- um, it's like uh oh, things like CityLink <laughs> records. They've they've they can look at those records as well. So you might fill out a logbook uh, and say, yeah, I've travelled from Trogan to Melbourne on these days. But then they'll look up your CityLink records, and there's nothing there. We'll say, okay, we'll explain that, please. Um, so they they do have their sneaky ways of of checking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, different it, things. Do you here. know what what one that always used to get me. Because they they enforce the law a lot of the times, you know, using scare campaigns and tactics and they stuff do. like that. Yeah. Remember the one, and it was relevant to us because Christy, my wife, has she still has a hex debt, yep. right? When we went overseas, we were a resident of the UK for tax purposes. So technically, I think she did pay hex debt over there when on the earnings that she earned because that, that that's what you had to do. But I was, I mean, she's a goody two shoes, you know, Chrissy, she's like, follow the law hundred percent. But I was in my head, um, of course, you know, we didn't do it, but I was like, how would they ever know that? I work in data professionally. I know how hard it is to get two or three systems, even in the same company to talk to each other that don't have a native um, primary key to join the, the two yep. records on. Yep. I'm like, I just would not imagine the ATO has the manpower, uh, the, you know, the resources to get tax information from all uh, countries in the world and like, oh, you're earning money in this this country over here using it. Like it just, it has to be a scare campaign, but possibly Probably, could be true, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. And that's like the whole tax system is a, a self-assessment system, which yes. yeah, means, you know, you're putting in there, you know, what you've come up with and that could be- It's based on 100% trust. right. Or you could just be, you know, pulling it out of- thin air and that's the thing like you want to some people just want to absolutely follow the law and know that they can sleep comfortably at night that they've done the right thing a lot of people want to bend the law as much as they can <laughs> 50 shades of gray yeah, yeah yeah so it's a bit of a give and take give and take exactly yeah, yeah okay okay yeah. so what are we talking about we're talking about self-managed super self-managed super so yeah probably an example there as well that we would have quite a bit would be say someone's running a business and the they want to buy the the premises that they're running the business out of. So often they won't have, you know, enough capital in their own names or, um, you know, enough of a deposit or they can't afford it, et cetera, in their own names. So one strategy would be to set up a self-managed super fund and buy that property within their fund, um, which works well because then, you know, the business is paying rent, which is 
going to yourself, your own super fund. Um, so that can that can definitely be a benefit of a, a self managed super fund. So yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, that could be. I mean, there's a whole lot of um, information to unpack in that that uh, topic, isn't there? So self managed super funds. I, I actually I was halfway through a book. I, I never ended up finishing it about self man, self managed super funds. But I just sort of I got halfway and I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. I just yep. <laughs> closed the book and was yeah, like, it's not yeah, for everyone, definitely. I'm just yeah. happy with the yeah the and similar to like how you set up your trust way back when. There's obviously a lot, a lot more work in a self managed fund than just having a, a industry fund or a retail fund. And yeah, one of the other benefits as well of a self-managed fund is you can borrow within the fund to invest in in property or, or whatever. Gotcha. So yeah, there's some leverage available there. For Interesting. That. Okay. All right. Moving on. This question had a lot of likes, a lot. Yeah. And you probably get this all the time. How often does the ATO audit people, generally speaking? Yeah, well, we see it a bit at work. The, the tax office did stop or slow down a lot of their compliance activity during COVID because of COVID. Um, and they've sort of started ramping it back up ramping again. Ramping it back up, yep. yep. So you do see on varying levels as well, different yeah, sort of compliance activity from the tax office, whether that just be the simple, like you might get a letter saying, we think you might have claimed too much for something. We're going to give you this opportunity now to fix it. If you do fix it, there's going to be no penalty or anything like that. If you don't do anything, then we may order you. We may not. So that can scare some people into saying, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have claimed that and let's amend it and, and pay some tax back. I was going to say, did they, did they just send them out to half the people anyway, regardless? Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that simple kind of one or there's the more full-blown audits where, you know, they're looking at your whole, the whole, your, all your groups, all your entities and all those sorts of things. Um, and I think they're the ones that scare people though. And yeah. They, I mean, the letter, they could just spam them out. I'm t- could, how, yeah. like- you would see it, you know, one in a thousand, one in every 10,000 where they actually, an ATO officer contacts the person and starts going through their affairs. How I've never, ever, ever heard of someone having that done to them. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've seen a few of them. You've seen it a does few. happen. Yeah. And is that usually if they've get, if they're getting flagged, like if their return is so out of the ordinary, it's getting picked up on, you know, in the, in the algorithm, whatever the ATO runs. A lot of them, yeah, would just be, yeah. It has to, right? Yep. Like randomly being audited, that would be, I'd assume, so rare randomly being audited. I don't reckon I've seen any random audits. It's always been for a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes more sense to me. If you're if you, my, my wife's a school teacher, if I'm a school teacher and my return was fifteen thousand dollars, <laughs> it's kind of ping on some sort of system. Hey, this is it's not it's not necessarily about how much your, your tax refund is, but it's more about what you're claiming uh, versus your income, your occupation code, where you're from as well. So they sort of look at all those sorts of things. And I imagine in the background they've got those algorithms <sighs> 100%. Or whatever to check all those that sort of information. As someone in data and analytics, I, yes. I, like I would you know. love to see those data sets and you know what they're how they're running those flags and everything. I mean, it's pretty rudimentary stuff. I, I could like just in the top of my head, I could think that would be easy to do because all you'd have to do is you just base it on um, different dem- demographics and then you'd have some sort of average, some sort of mean. An acceptable range sort of thing. Yeah. Accept- exactly. And anyone yep. that falls outside them, put them into a little group and be like, all right, these people, we're going to send up, we're going to send one of those letters. And then the people way far in the, the outliers, maybe we'll go tap them on the shoulder or give them a call. Um, so, okay. That's interesting. So, You've never seen a random audit. Not a random one, no. Okay. I think that, that yeah, I, I thought that that'd be the case. I'm sure they do it occasionally, but it would have to be super rare, My my um, I'd imagine, anyway. Yeah, I think so too. All right, cool. Next question. Okay, this is an interesting one. How viable is accounting as a career path, particularly with the advancements in artificial intelligence? Yeah, and I, I think this is sort of a difficult one to answer and it probably depends a lot on- exactly how good does AI get? It's a million dollar question, Clayton. Yeah, and we're already seeing with compliance, like that's all getting a lot more automated than what it used to be. So that's, you know, in 20, 30 years time, if I'm still doing accounting, am I still going to be lodging tax returns or that is that all just going to be fully automated? I'd probably say it's going to be fully automated. And that's sort of where we need to look more at the advisory sort of thing. And I I think personally that um, advice is still personal and it's going to be hard for AI to look at someone's situation as a whole and then get the right advice to that person. But again, I might be proven wrong on that. It might mm. be it might be possible in the future. Who knows? But yeah. Well, we've already got those robo advisors. Yeah. Know, like yep. Stockspot and, you know, whoever else does it. I think Six Parks is shut down, I think. Or well, Six Parks 
can't remember. There's one of them that shut down recently. Yeah. Acorns and whatnot. They do a little bit of like semi-advice at the start. Have you seen those before? I did invest in Acorns when it sort of first started, which doesn't is now raised. Yeah, yeah, raised. It doesn't prompt you. It's like how how risk averse are you? I remember like, it did, yeah. Yeah, so they class – I think that's robo-advice yeah. they call yep. that, yeah. Yep. But yeah, I sort of – and it's – we'll like we'll move with the times as we go, but I still think that the advice and, and just helping people with how to do something, like everyone's always going to need that. A bit of hand-holding sometimes. I think I agree with you because you can find anything online, but parsing it is very is quite difficult. Like you sort of need a level of uh, some sort of uh, education in the subject matter to parse the petabytes of data out there on the internet. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. half of it's just absolute rubbish and inaccurate. But I definitely agree with you as well that people, they feel comfortable with humans. Maybe the next generation will. I don't know. This it would be an interesting an interesting topic to come back to in 20 years to see how it plays out. But I personally, I don't think accountants are going anywhere yeah. anytime soon. We'll have to set a calendar reminder in 20 years <laughs> to listen to this again and, and see how see how close we were. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, next question. How complicated do one's financial affairs need to be to benefit from having an accountant? Sort of touched on I think we touched on bit. this a bit before. Anything yeah. else you want to add? Not really to that. I think, yeah, even even those with just a simple a simple sort of structure or simple affairs can benefit from coming to see us. Even if you came to see us once, for example, to do your tax return and ask all the different questions on what you can claim and all that sort of thing, and then going forward you can do your own tax return. This is probably not a good thing for me to say for my business, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's people can could benefit from that. You might be able to claim something that you hadn't thought of before. So yeah, if, if it's simple or complex, I think an accountant can help you. Yep, yeah, cool. In most cases. All right, moving on. Super. For those who are a little bit older, is there any reason not to load up? And if there is excess, how can tax be minimised when it is when it is inherited by adult children? Good question. And there's a bit in there. I think, especially as you're getting older and you're getting closer to that retirement age, um, it's usually a very good idea to put or max out your super as much as you can. Purely because like if you and I, if we're to put money into super right now, it's going to be you know at least 30 years before we can access it. Whereas if you're already nearing that 60 age- um, It's money for jam. Yeah, you might, you might as well put it in there and get the tax benefit from it. So it's not also that just the tax benefit from putting it in to begin with. It's then when you are retired and you say you're getting a pension from your super fund, so it's in pension mode, then all of the the earnings on your fund will be tax free. Do you think they'll change that eventually? Who knows? It's been on the chopping block a few times, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Because that's but- a fair gravy train, especially when you have these didn't someone I think I was seen on Twitter Twitter like last year, didn't someone have like 800 million in super or something. Wasn't there that Probably, one person? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I did say something about that. It was preposterous. That one person had mm. just had so much money in super. Yep. It's like, come on, that was not why it was designed. I can tell you now it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then to minimise the tax when it's inherited by adult children. So there's a few different strategies there and it can get quite complex um, and that's that's where a financial planner or an accountant can help you gotcha. a lot with that. So it sort of it depends on what the components of your superannuation are so that you can get it in. There's a tax-free component, there's a taxable component with the taxed element, and there's an untaxed element as well. So there's a few different elements there. Is that just on is that is that dependent on if it's in accumulation mode or pension mode or not really? It's just part of your like super lump sum. Yeah, it's so when it's in accumulation mode, I believe all the, the different components can change. Yeah. But then when you switch it to pension, then they're, they're sort of locked in. Gotcha. Those different components. Not many people, well, probably a lot of people, but not many, it's not as common, would have a tax-free component. I think that's more for uh, like public sector super funds. That's more when money goes into the super fund and the super fund doesn't pay any tax on that either. And then the taxed elements. So if you make a concessional contribution, um, that's the tax component. So that's when tax has been paid at 15% um, or there's the um, the untaxed element, which is when you're putting in non-concessional contributions. So generally speaking, I'm not too sure I've thought thought much about this because it's a fair, fair uh, few years away for me, but let's say I have a million dollars in super and it's in the pension mode, I'm drawing down and then I drop dead and it's only just me, my wife isn't around anymore. How does that get taxed to my, not dependents, but to my kids or whoever I give it to, you know, in my will or whatever, is that taxed as income to them? How's that work? Uh, it can be. So it depends if they're a tax 
dependent or not. Is what tax dependent. Yeah, so What's a tax that? dependent will be your spouse generally or a child under 18. They're the most common ones. There's a couple others like I think if someone's a, someone, if someone's financially dependent on you for some reason. Oh, so that's a, that's a strange term. Ta- they're tax dependent. A tax dependent, yeah. So it is it, it is defined, I believe, in, in the legislation. Okay. What a, what a tax and dependent And it's different is. to financial a, a financial dependent person. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so a tax dependent person. So if you were to pass away um, and Chrissy were to get your, your super, then it would all be tax free because she's your tax dependent. Or if you had a child who's under 18, then that would be a tax dependent as well. All so it, it's all 100% would be yeah, tax free. All tax free. If it's paid as a lump sum. If it's paid as an income stream, then there's different tax rules, uh, rules depending on okay. their age and a few other things. And so what happens if they're over 18? If they're over 18 and not and not any sort of tax dependent for any other reason, then that's where it depends on the elements of gotcha. what's in then your it gets super. Messy. Yeah, in so it's, you know, part of it, something can be tax free. Gotcha, some's gotcha. Capped at I think 17 percent from memory, and some's capped at 32 percent. Right, so you got to go through all, all, right. all, yeah. all the hoo ha with you know. Yeah, yeah got so it. So it can it. get quite complex. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, okay. So some strategies to. Reduce the tax, so it'd be really easy if everyone knew exactly when they were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because die ideally, with zero yeah, would be can, a lot more popular. Yeah, you take all your money out of super before you die, because um, then if it's just money in the bank, if that passes to an adult child, then there's going to be no tax on that. That's at all. so interesting that you've said that. Of course, so if you just if you <laughs> the year before you pass away, take it all out in a lump sum. That can just get passed. No tax. Wow. Of course it can. So if you've got a terminal huh. illness or something like that, huh. then that's yeah. um, obviously not ideal, but you can But what's stopping you? I that. mean, I guess we're getting into financial planning territory here, but what's stopping you from taking it all out, invest, like putting it into the share market, for example, uh, let's say you got 500000 so you're turning that 4%. You're going to be under the tax-free threshold anyway, right? You could be, yeah, yep. So, like, yeah, there's also on. things like like Centrelink benefits. You wouldn't uh, want to try yeah, and mess around course. with those as yeah, well, which are yeah, eligible yeah, for yeah. them. So, yes. a few other things to consider. Of yeah, course, and obviously, and if you got where, more a higher balance, um, you know, some of the the investment earnings might be taxed if they if they're in your own name. Of course, because you're not getting super. that sweet tax-free income yes. from the super. Of exactly. course, this is interesting. Yep. I could definitely see how. I mean, you could do some mad Excel spreadsheet modeling. You could, with, yep. Yeah, definitely. Yep. If you if you pass but there's away, generally, yeah, there's no one right answer for for everyone. It's yeah, everyone's a bit different. Mm. Could you a lot miti- of things to mi- consider. Mi- mitigate it by like taking out some cash, or is that a common strategy, like to pull out a third of your super fund just to in case you pass away or something? Oh, you could, you could. Yeah, yeah there's probably no reason why you couldn't do that. What's a common strategy you see in that situation? Let's say I'm the, oh, I've got a big super fund, million bucks, three kids, they're all over eighteen. Yeah. I don't deal too much with with the super side of things. Like we've got our own superannuation team at our firm, um, so they're sort of the ones that deal with those sort of strategies more. So I'm not really exposed to that sort of. Gotcha. Be another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I can ask one of the other guys if he wants to come on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So I think we've we've gone over that. I mean, yeah. Like a lot of these topics, we could spend a lot of time. You know, really, if you want to get into the weeds of them, definitely. But it, that's very interesting, especially with the, the the taking your money out. Never thought of that. All right. Last question. From the community. Now, this is a, one of the hardest ones. I, I was going to say, classic <laughs> question, and this get this is a. I reckon this has to be one of the top three questions that I have been personally asked with, like yep. via email for the last ten years. At what mortgage interest rate would you prefer to start paying down the mortgage? versus continue investing in shares. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to say 10%, and then we can wrap this up. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, when uh, yeah, when I saw this question, I was I thought about it for a while and I don't have I, I couldn't come up with any set interest rate like any particular rate that I would say, yep, I'm not going to invest in shares anymore. I'm just going to stick it all on the home loan. Yeah, I reckon there's Still a lot of things you need to consider, like you want to know what's your expected rate of return on the shares. you got to take into account the tax on the, on the investment on the shares as well. And also your risk tolerance and, and your time frame is probably the most important one as well. It's um, an impossible question, isn't it? It is, yeah. To answer because what Very people different. don't understand is I get people have written in the group as well and, and commented on my articles. It's like, hey, my interest rate, you know, starting to get over mm. six, seven, well, I'm not too sure if it's at 8% yeah. at, you know, at the moment, but like if- the expected return on the share market is 8% and yeah. we're getting close to 8% and i got to pay tax on the income from that part of that 8% I'm earning in shares. Yeah. Isn't it a no-brainer yeah. to pay my mortgage down? But that, I mean, there's so many things that's not factoring in. It's just not clear cut as 
this is 8%, this is 8%, so, you know, I should, I should do right, here. Yeah. Because if you're holding the investment for a long time period, you know, 30 plus years, who knows what the next two, three years is going to look like with those investments? Yeah, exactly. You know, you could you could buy an investment in 2023 now that goes absolutely bananas in 24, 25, 26. Right. So yeah. suddenly your modeling of 8% and the interest rates could come back down. So it's like, unless you have a crystal ball, mm. it's very hard to, to know. Yeah. And I probably, I probably think that, you know, people sort of just need to do what they are comfortable with and what, you know, if you're, if you're doing something and you're, it's keeping you awake at night, that's not what you want. So you got to go down the path that you're, you're still comfortable with. Like me personally, I'm, I'm just doing a bit of both. I'm investing in shares and paying extra off the home loan. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, so sort of hedging the bets there. but And that I feel comfortable doing that So because I feel like I'm not losing out either way, but I'm still still getting the benefit of both of them. Yeah, for sure. As we're, well. So, we're yeah. probably – well, we're in an interesting situation because we haven't bought shares in ages, like a year or close to a year, because we're starting to really transition onto living off the dividends now, and which was always the plan. But it's real funny that people, they have a plan for like 10, 15 years, but never actually pulled the trigger. Yeah. They just keep investing, keep yeah. growing that snowball, That's keep getting richer. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. At some point you sort of want to like use this wealth. But um, oh, yeah, we, we stick everything in the offset and we- had half our home loan locked at 199%, which comes off like next year or something. Yep. I bet you're looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Um, I was just glad. I look at it as an optimist and just say, thankfully, I got that rate oh, for yeah, three years. Definitely. But yeah, I feel more comfortable having a big cash buffer in mm. the offset. Yep. Is, yep. And it's funny because- So it helps you sleep at night. Absolutely yeah. helps. And because- I work for myself now and I don't have that steady paycheck. It's crazy how different of a mindset I'm in, even though we are at the wealthiest we've ever been at right now. When I was 24 and I had, you know, one-tenth of the wealth we have now, I was putting like, I was happy to invest 70% of my um, paycheck every single month and just like buy more shares, buy more shares. But now because I'm not getting that steady paycheck, I'm just like, uh a high cash buffer, like it looks really good at the moment, and how really helps me sleep uh, well at night, and you know have the conviction to to um not need to go out and get a full time job. Yeah, so like if someone's a bit worried about the sh- the share market or they're worried that the interest rates are high, like you can always just park it in the offset for a bit, um, and then if they start to go down the interest rates, um, you can then invest in shares if that if that helps you feel comfortable, then that's probably a good a good idea to do that. And it also makes me feel better in a weird way because I know it's costing me more more money, but whatever that the interest rate is quite high and my. Fifty thousand dollars that we've got in the the um the offset, that's very useful. Like that's actually doing a lot of work for me because it's saving us so much interest. So I don't feel bad if the interest rate was only like yeah back at two percent. Yeah, I'm like oh two percent. I could got I could get a lot better return in the share market. It's sort of you know wasting away in that offset. But now because the interest rate's high, I'm like nah, that's that's doing good work. Like I'm getting a really nice return yeah, on that that yeah. offset money. Um, so. The, the psychology battle is is uh it's honestly half the battle isn't it mm, that's it that's it cool all right i've exhausted all my questions clayton anything else that you wanted to bring up before we wrap up this podcast like in terms of just an accountant's role you know in the fire journey or anything else that we haven't spoken about today uh not in particular i just sort of maybe want to um just reach out to anyone out there who wants some help from an accountant um you're more than welcome to contact me i can get you to you, Matt, to put the my, my details in absolutely. In, I'll in the put show your, notes if you like. Definitely, I'll yep. put your um, minority sh- stakeholder in the company. I'll put your company <laughs> in the uh, the <laughs> show you. notes. Thank you. Um, I can definitely vouch for these guys. And uh, yeah, we've already mentioned the company's name, but um, did you want to just say a little bit about uh, what yous are all about? What 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 yous can offer and everything? Yeah. So the name of the firm is McMillan's. We're based in in Trelgan, in Victoria. We're a decent sized firm. We've got about forty people roughly working there across all the different departments. So we've got an accounting department, uh, self-managed super, financial planning, and also bookkeeping and, and corporate services. So quite a few different different parts of the business. So yeah, we try to be sort of like a one-stop shop in that sort of aspect, I guess. So yeah, if, if anyone needs any assistance with anything, whether it be accounting or financial planning or super or anything, yeah, re- feel free to reach out to me or, or anyone else there and we can yeah we can help you out. Great, great stuff. All right, well, thanks for making the time. Thanks for coming over, Thank Clayton. No um, enjoy this podcast and I hope that everyone out there listening gets some valuable insights as well. So cheers, mate. I hope so. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Love your work. 
big shout out to Clayton for coming on and sharing his expertise and experiences with us. He is in the Facebook group. So I'm sure if you put out a question or you have any questions about this podcast, put them in the Facebook group and I'm sure he'll respond or drop a comment. As always, if you're enjoying these episodes, please feel free to leave me a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is a labor of love, this podcast, but hearing feedback from the community is great motivation and I love hearing from you guys as well. That's it from me. I'll see you on the next episode. Catch ya. Thanks for listening to another episode. For all the show notes, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be taken as personal financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision.